to be with us. If you will, open your Bibles to Revelation 20th chapter. Revelation 20th chapter, a very similar style of study as we've done the last two Sunday nights. We're going to continue looking at lessons that have to do with life after this life, from healing to eternity. We spent a few weeks of looking at heaven and answering questions that could oftentimes be asked about heaven. Let's spend at least a couple of Sunday nights looking at the topic of hell. And let's address this from the standpoint of what does the scriptures tell us about hell. And of course, in seeing this, it's going to give us reasons why we don't want to spend eternity in hell. I want to remind you that as we study the topic of heaven or hell, there are a lot of things that are written by a lot of folks that simply is not in the Bible. And so as we address these topics, we do well to say, let's simply see what the Word of God says, because that we can be sure of, that we can know. And so what we'll do is we'll simply address what the Scriptures reveal to us about hell. Now, if a preacher preaches on hell, he puts himself in pretty good company. Because Jesus Christ spoke more of hell, perhaps, than any other writer or any other speaker of the New Testament. As a matter of fact, when we see Gehenna, the word that oftentimes is translated hell in the Scriptures, in the New Testament, it's listed 12 times. 11 of those times are by Jesus Christ Himself as He gave individuals warnings of things that they should not do and then gave a motivation why they shouldn't do it. And He warned them that they would spend an eternity in hell. And so it is. Someone says, do you think we ought to use hell as a motivating force if we're going to follow the footsteps of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? The answer is absolutely yes. Heaven should be a motivating force. And to escape the torment of hell also ought to be a motivating force. So as we think about this, let's go first to Revelation, the 20th chapter. Revelation, the 20th chapter. As you're turning there, I want to mention to you about way of introduction. Let's be sure and, and reach out this week and, and comfort the families that we have among us that are hurting. We have lost two wonderful members of our congregation in the last couple of weeks and one just in the early hours this morning. Byron Harding, let's reach out to the Harding family and let's reach out, reach out to the Hudson family and let's encourage them and strengthen them in any way that we can uh, within the next few weeks. We're looking now at Revelation the 20th chapter. Revelation the 20th chapter. What do we learn about hell from this chapter? From this reading that we're about to read, we're going to end this passage by seeing that the scripture says it's a lake of fire. But let's set some things in order as we read down through here to reach that point. We're going to begin reading in verse 11. And he says, When I saw a great white throne, and he understood on it. You remember the last couple of weeks we looked at Matthew, the 25th chapter, and there's a vision of Jesus sitting on the throne, and all the nations were gathered before him. We looked at that just last Sunday night. There's going to be a judgment, which means a great divide, and the sheep are going to be on the right, and the goats will be on the left. This is the imagery that we see again. Now we see this unfolding as earth and heaven are somewhat personified here. Note the rest of this verse. From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place. It doesn't mean that the earth fled. Here the earth is personified, and you remember we looked in 2 Peter, the third chapter recently, that, that the heaven and the earth are going to burn up. The elements will melt away. And so here we have that scene again. And remember, I even told you last time, I said, I don't know if we can really look over our shoulder and see it burning up, but that's the imagery again, that we're going to stand before the throne, and as we stand before the throne, there will not be a use for, for the, the sky 
we know it and as the earth as we know it. And so those things are going to flee away. Those things, Peter would say, are going to burn up. And so we read on in verse 12. And I saw the dead. So now we're referring to the great resurrection here. Small and great. So it doesn't matter if someone was little known or if someone was well known. Small or great. Everyone's going to be a part of this resurrection. And they're going to be standing before God on the throne there. Jesus. God will be on the throne. And notice the plural, as it says, and books were opened. Meaning, as I said, what are those books that are going to be opened? If we don't live under the Old Covenant, we'd be judged by the law that was given under the Old Covenant. So no doubt, that'll be one of the books that are opened. You and I, according to John the 12th chapter, will be judged by the words of Jesus, Christ's words of the New Covenant. And so that book will be opened. Also, it's referred to in the Scripture, the book of remembrance. God will call to remembrance everything that individuals have done. And so that book will be open. But we're about to read about another book that will be open here. And it says, another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And so here we have the books open. And we have each individual giving a judgment, giving an account for himself and a personal judgment. Now, it's almost as if he says, okay, let's stop here. And let's go back and let's review this. And so let's begin at 13 with kind of a review of what we've just covered. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Are you talking about those who died at sea, those who are buried at sea? It could be because all dead are going to rise no matter where they were buried. But he's probably talking about a multitude there. You know, you might look at, at bisons running across a prairie, and you might say a sea of bisons were running across the prairie. It probably is that kind of writing here where he's saying, here, it's, it's going to be all. In other words, it's going to be so many people here that's referred to a sea giving up the dead who are in it. And then we start reading about death and Hades. Use somewhat as synonyms here. Death and Hades. Hades is the realm of the dead. The spirit leaves the body. That's physical death. If we want to put a definition on physical death, it's when the Spirit leaves the body. James teaches us that. And so here, when the Spirit leaves the body, where does it go before Judgment Day? It goes into the realm of the dead. And so here, he personifies death and Hades, and he speaks this as we continue reading in 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his work. So again, the emphasis being placed upon all are going to come into this judgment, even if they had died previous to this judgment. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. You remember we read last week in 1 Corinthians the 15th chapter, along verse 24, 25, and 26, the last enemy that shall die. Remember that? It was death. And here is death in Hades being cast into that lake of fire. And so that's the last enemy that had to be put away. And if you'll remember coming out of 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy had to be destroyed before those that are on the right side, the saved, could be delivered to the Father. And so here we have that same thing happening here. We have that great divide. It's ready for it to be a final divide, but before that happens, death and Hades has to be thrown into the lake of fire. Death, the last enemy, shall be destroyed. And then he says, this is the second death. Talking about the eternal death, the eternal separation. Verse 15, And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. 
Why do we not want to go to hell? Hell is a lake of fire. Have you ever seen, either in person, but especially on newscast, whenever there's oil spills, and maybe you've seen water uh, with oil or gasoline floating on it, and maybe even on fire, and you see that that appears to be a lake of fire? Can you imagine being in the midst of that lake of fire? The idea is being surrounded or consumed by this lake of fire. How important is it that our name be written in the book of life? It makes all the difference in the world. Whether or not we've submitted our life to the Almighty God and we're living in hope of His reward of eternal life, or to be cast into a lake of fire. The idea that eternity away from God is to spend eternity in a lake of fire is a good reason to not want to spend an eternity in hell. Look with me, if you will, now back to Psalms, the 11th chapter. Psalms, the 11th chapter. And let's look at 5, 6, and 7 here. And on your screen, you're going to see 6 and 7. I'll back up and read verse 5 here. This is Psalms, the 11th chapter. He says, The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked... He will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. And other translations would even define or even translate this burning wind a tempest. And so here in this second passage, we're seeing that not only is hell a lake of fire, but hell is a tempest that is a firestorm, if you will. It's raining coals. It's, there's, a bur- there's a stirring of brimstone and fire. And it says, shall be the portion of their cup. But then he says in 7, it doesn't have to be this way. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. In other words, His countenance before His face. Who does God allow to come before His face? Those that are righteous, those that have submitted their life to Him, those that have found forgiveness by the the grace that He offers and through the blood of His Son, those are the ones that are allowed to come before the face of God. Well, someone says, what if I can't come before the face of God? There's only one alternative. We either spend an eternity in the presence of God, or we spend an eternity separated from God where God is not. And there, it will be like a storm. It will be like an air of anger that is stirring about here as the psalmist describes it, whether it's symbolic or literal, it's cold falling and a fire whirling. And so we have a lake of fire and we have a tempest of fire that blows about. Two good reasons to not want to spend eternity in hell. Turn over a few pages to Isaiah the 33rd chapter. Isaiah the 33rd chapter. As you're turning there, the passage we just left, that fire swirling about us and that there being uh, the coals falling. I don't know how many of you have ever had the the experience of fighting some kind of forest fire, but if you grew up in the country, odds are you've experienced that at least once. And uh, for those of you that didn't, you might have missed a little motivation to not spend an eternity in hell. But as you're, you're fighting those fires, I remember one time me and a buddy went out and we went about four or five miles in the woods and we were freezing, we were riding our horses and we decided to stop and warm up by a fire and the sage grass caught on fire and it's spreading around and 
It was way too far to ride back to get help, and so I cut down a little cedar tree with my knife, and he grabbed a blanket off the horse, and we began fighting the fire. Well, as, as you whip the fire into the center to put out the fire, the ashes and the fire, the flames themselves, literally blow back against you if the wind is coming against you, and you have to stand on that side to fight the fire back. You know, I remember that day. We fought that fire for probably about an hour, and our, we didn't have any eyebrows left or eyelashes, and all of our veins were kind of burned off, and it hurt. It was painful, but it was either that or lose hundreds and hundreds of acres. And so you think about times like that. You think about a fire whirling about, and you think about how nice it would be to be able to back up away from that fire, but you know, that day we couldn't back up away from the fire. You know, there's going to be an eternity where people are going to wish they could back away from that fire. I want to get out of this storm of fire that, that, is, that is brewing around us. But there won't be any escape from that. And so as we read here in the third chapter, we read that not only are these, is this a fire, but notice it says a devouring fire here. We're going to read in Isaiah the 33rd chapter in verse 14 as he says, The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Now notice these next two questions here. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with the everlasting burnings? Now that's interesting, isn't it? The one time the fire is described as devouring, and the very next phrase is described as an everlasting burning. You see, it would be a blessing, I guess, in disguise if we could literally be devoured completely. But God makes it very clear within the same verse. There's going to be some things devoured about hell, but it's not going to be your existence. We'll experience that existence, He says, with everlasting, forever. But the flames themselves will devour. What? Rest. Peace. Comfort. Joy. Inner peace. Hope. Oh, there's a long list of things that those flames will devour. Those things won't exist any longer. But the flames will continue to burn and burn. Let's look at a fourth thing as we go to Matthew, the 23rd chapter. Matthew, the 23rd chapter. We've looked thus far at a lake of fire and a storm, a tempest of fire in midst of flames that devour, but yet we continue to endure. And we pause here and say, why? Why all of this? And we see that it's punishment. The Lord clearly identifies it as punishment. It's no more or no less. It's simply punishment. When we read in Matthew, the 23rd chapter, if we drop back to verse 28, we kind of get inside of the kind of people He's talking about, and it really relates well to the lesson this morning. So let's read 28 and then skip down to, to uh, 33. At 28, He's speaking to scribes and Pharisees. He says, "...even so you also outwardly appear righteous to men..." But inside, see, he's talking about their heart. Inside, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And what's the result in 33? He calls them serpents, brood of vipers, and then asks this question. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Why do we not want to go to hell? Hell is condemnation. Hell is damnation. In other words, hell is the punishment for wrongdoing. 
I know that this is probably an elementary point, but since the Lord makes it, let's make it and let's make it strong. Have you ever had a, a, a child and, and you see the child punished and, and the child kind of smirks and says, didn't bother me any. You know what? You can rest assured God's punishment's going to bother you a lot. Or maybe there's been someone that they've gone into prison. And they say, well, you know, at first it's pretty bad, but really it wasn't that bad in prison. You know what? There's not going to be anybody that endures the Lord's punishment that's going to, that's going to say, oh, it wasn't really condemnation. It wasn't really damnation. No, there will be 100% of the population of hell that will know beyond any shadow of a doubt we're experiencing punishment. We have rebelled against the Almighty God, the God that was just and merciful, the God that did everything He could do to save us, and we still turned our back on Him. And we were wrong. And we must pay the consequences for our wrong. Everyone in hell will recognize the fact that they are being punished. Drop back a few chapters, Matthew the 8th chapter, and let's see a fifth thing that if you really stop and imagine this one, it really uh, unsettles the nerves. In Matthew the 8th chapter, let's begin reading at 11. This is one that we looked to just uh, last week or either the week before when we talked about in heaven that identity is going to be kept. You remember when it says, And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus reveals here that there's still identity in heaven. But now notice the very next verse as He speaks of hell. And He says, But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So in one view, we see a glimpse of eternity with God, and it's going to be wonderful, it's going to be visiting, it's going to be, a, it's just described as a comfortable scene. But the very next verse, we see that there's going to be darkness, and we'll talk about that at a later time, even in this series of studies. But then he says, just listen, just listen. What do you hear? Not just crying. Here the word could be translated wailing. You know the difference when someone cries and when someone wails? Weeping and wailing? That's how this word could be translated here. It's those hard cries from deep within when someone is in severe anguish. That's what we're going to hear and that's what we'll be experiencing if we've experienced an eternity in hell is the constant wailing and crying. But not only that, perhaps even more unsettling of the nerves is to think that the grinding of the teeth. We've all seen the westerns where they're way back in the middle of a, a wilderness area somewhere and, and someone's leg or arm has to be amputated. And what's the first thing they always do? They reach for a stick and put it in his mouth. Why? Severe pain and the grinding of teeth is things that are connected about our human nature. And what's interesting is about our new body that is given to us, it must stay that way by the way that it's taught in the Scriptures, even for an eternity. The idea that severe pain is going to create that grinding of teeth. And so the population of hell will experience the sound of wailing and the grinding of teeth as those around live in a place of such extreme 
extreme pain and discomfort. Let's stay on this same point here and see a second passage. Go over to Matthew the 13th chapter. In Matthew the 13th chapter, I wanted us to look at this same teaching from this passage because this is an interesting parable where the seed has been sown, but then the enemy comes in and sows tares in with the seeds. And so it appears that all of these are the kingdom of heaven. In other words, on earth, these are individuals that you and I would recognize as brothers and sisters in Christ. And then so somebody says, well, how do we know who's saved and who's not saved? And the Lord says, well, in this parable, under this uh, study of thinking here, He's saying, there's some that you can never know on this earth. You'll have to wait to judgment day and let us sort them out. Now friends, please understand, I'm not trying to say this from an accusing way and saying that you and I ought to look around and try to judge individuals' hearts sitting here. I'm not saying that by any means. Only God can judge hearts and we need to leave that to God. But what this is teaching is that very well there would be some among us that we think are our brothers and sisters in Christ, but yet on that final day we're going to find out that they were not really dedicated to God. And what will they experience? Now let's think about this for a moment. Someone that did go through many religious acts, someone that did convince other people that they were a Christian, if they're not saved because they were not sincere, God knows that, but will they experience the same thing? Well, here's what we read about this kind of parable. Here's the explanation of it beginning in 36, and we're going to read 41 and 42. And the Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. Now let's pause here for just a moment. So those individuals that have lived a life that is an offense to God, and those individuals that would not live by the law of God, Isn't it a shame the way many in our religious society today try to separate law and grace as if they do not work hand in hand? Now, if we're just studying from the Word of God, how important is it to live by the law of God? Here, the ones that are going to be cast into hell are those that try to live a lawless life. You see, in Titus, the second chapter, in 11, 12, and 13, we find that grace of God extends to those that live by the law of God. And so it's no surprise here that those that God cast out are the ones that lived a lawless life. And these are the ones that were viewed by others as being a part of the kingdom of heaven. And now notice the punishment, which is the same that we read just a moment ago in 42. uh, We read previous chapters. And we'll cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth again. Who's going to have the wailing and gnashing of teeth? There, it too, is the ones that on this earth convinced people that they were the children of God. We're going to come right back to this one in just a moment uh, and and see the furnace there that that is spoken of. But uh, because of the order of the slides here, let's see a a, uh, sixth thing here. Let's go to Revelations, the 20th chapter. And Revelations, the 20th chapter, let's back up and read verse 10 now. At the beginning of this lesson, we read verse 11 and following. But let's read verse 10 and let's see something about the devil here and also about those that live under the influence of the devil. We're in Revelations, the 20th chapter, and we're reading in verse 10. And now we're going to see something else about this torment. It says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast 
and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is a very important point that I need to understand about an eternity in hell. Have you ever talked with someone that has gone through a very difficult time, but after time they describe it like this. They say, well, you know, I just kind of got used to the pain and now I don't even recognize it. Or I kind of got used to that difficult situation and now it's not so difficult anymore. Let me ask you, is it possible for one to enter into hell and after a period of existence there to say, well, you know, it was pretty bad at first. You know, living in a lake of fire with a storm of fire about us and devouring flames about us and being in that place of punishment and hearing that that gnashing of the teeth and that wailing, it's pretty bad at first, but you know, after a little while, I don't even notice it now. Did you notice that last phrase there? Again, what the Lord said, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. You know what the word tormented means? It means they will be in pain. They will be in severe discomfort. In other words, God, all we can know about hell or heaven at this point is what you tell us. What do you want me to know about hell? And he'd say, I want you to realize that that pain you experienced when you first arrive there is the same thing that you experience day in and day out. You're not going to get used to this one. Something that is a part of the life there. And then we back up again to Matthew the 13th chapter and the passage that we just read there in 42 as we go to the seventh thing that we can see as a reason we do not want to go to hell. As we look in verse 42, he says, "...and will cast them into the furnace of fire." There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Most of us have probably sometime in our life been around some kind of furnace. You know, if you had children that were ever close to a furnace, one of the things that those child that those children have heard over and over is, don't put your hand in the furnace. You know, the idea of a furnace is that it's going to be extreme heat. You know, there's something else to a furnace. That is the idea that the fire is contained. Now, if the fire is contained in the furnace, and that's where and how hell is described there, the population of hell is inside the furnace. Can you imagine what it would be like to know that there's something much better outside that furnace, but yet the population of hell is contained inside the furnace? I don't know what is the hottest thing you've ever been in. I know for me, it would have been in wheat dryers, where you literally walked in to a dryer that would heat up to several hundred degrees. And we used to have to hold our breath and run in and and throw a bucket of water on the portion of the dryer on the inside that was on fire, and then come back out. And we'd have to do that every day. And one thing you knew, you didn't breathe in there, And you didn't stay in there more than just a few seconds. What would it be like to be in that kind of environment and then say, but I'm in a furnace and I can't leave. I'm here. What would it be mentally to know there's something much better? I had the opportunity to live with God for an eternity and I let it slip through my fingers. What was I thinking? 
You see, the concept of a furnace. Flames, heat, but contained. is a terrible aspect of hell. And let's close with this one. 2 Thessalonians, the first chapter in verse 9. 2 Thessalonians, the first chapter in verse 9, he says it this way. There, Paul writing to Thessalonica, there shall be punished, I'm sorry, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction. Notice that word, destruction, from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. What is this punishment? We've already talked about the fact that it was punishment, so now let's look at this word destruction. What is destruction? Destruction is when something has not accomplished the very purpose for which it was designed. I know recently we had some of our young people working on a project at school, and this particular teacher in this particular school gives this same project every year. And every year I hear these kids when they come through that class working on this project. I want you to imagine, guys, that you've worked on a project day in and day out, and that project is finally complete, and it does everything it was designed to do. And you go to bed that night and say, in the morning I'm going to take that project to school, and overnight... A huge cabinet falls over and it crushes the project. And you get up the next morning and you feel like, oh no, my project's been destroyed. No, no, wait a minute. It's still there. But you say, you don't understand. It's there, but it doesn't do what it was designed to do. It's destroyed. The soul is going to be in existence in hell but it's not going to be doing what it's designed to do. The design of the soul is to live in heaven. The home of the soul. And if we miss our home, we miss the very purpose for which we're created. Our purpose has been destroyed. It's a terrible thing when we realize that we've lost out on something so wonderful. Surely that will be one of the most horrible aspects of hell. Destruction. The loss. Look what we gave up. Now if you've been here the previous two Sunday nights, you know that there is a wonderful alternative. God has prepared a wonderful place. The cost of His Son's life to pay the price for you and I to avoid hell and to experience the rewards of heaven, to live in the presence of God for an eternity. Friends, we live busy lives, and we have a lot on our mind. But as we're about to sing this song of invitation, and as we leave here tonight, I urge all of us to remember that we're studying about things that are very real. There really is a heaven. There really is a hell. We really will spend an eternity in one place or the other. If your life isn't right with God, you're making a choice right now. Who in their right mind would say, oh yeah, yeah, that place we've studied tonight, yeah, that's where I want to spend eternity. You say, well, I wouldn't say that, but if you're not living for the Lord, that's what you're saying. If you've never been baptized into Christ for remission of your sins, won't you do that tonight? Or if you've served Him, but yes, somewhere along the way you've left Him, won't you come back to Him tonight? Yes, He asked our all. We're not talking about something easy and casual. The Lord asked our all, but He gave His all. And it's worth it. Everything God asks of us, He'll reward us far more 
It's by His grace that we have that opportunity, but it's by our submission to Him that we receive His grace. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.